Abundance of love, abundance of grace. Now to that cross, you took my place. Oh God, you paid my ransom. My ransom. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people. Now, here's Pastor Scott. In Joshua chapter 5, verse 13, I want you to follow along and hear the word of the Lord. In verse 13, the Bible says, And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho, that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, there stood a man over against him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went unto him and said unto him, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? And he said, Nay, but as captain of the host of the Lord am I now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship and said unto him, What saith my Lord unto his servant? And the captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoe from off thy foot, for the place whereon thou standest is holy. And Joshua did so. I want to preach to you this morning from a sermon titled, What to Do Between the Promise and the Victory. Pray with me. God, thank you for your word, God. I pray that you'd strengthen my mouth, my mind, and my body now to speak what you'd have us to hear. God, I pray that you would enlighten your word to us today, increase our faith, guide us, is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. What to do between the promise and the victory. I've been telling people for years between every promise and every promised land is a wilderness journey. If you read the Bible, which I hope you do, you're going to find out that God makes lots of promises in the Bible, but they don't all happen like that. You have to have something that you're believing God has promised you for if you want your faith to be growing. If I was to come to you right now and ask you, what do you believe God has promised you that you have not yet seen fulfilled in your life, you need to have a ready answer right on top of your mind. That, that's going to help your faith grow. And I want us to look at the word this morning because when we do what others did, we can have what they had. And I want us to have what Joshua had because he had great victory and he had God on his side. I, I love that song. It's an old church song that says, we're standing on holy ground. And this is one of the several, one of the few passages in the Bible where that concept comes out to take your shoes off your feet for the place you're standing is holy. And when God told Joshua to take off his shoes, Joshua understood what it meant because it wasn't something new to him. It wasn't something he had never heard of before. Joshua had been raised around Egyptian worship, worship of false gods, worship of idols, worship of fake religions and in Egyptian culture priests would always take their shoes off before they went into the temple so he had seen this whole thing about taking your shoes off as a way to say something about the place where you were going it was uh, it was a sign of, of the priest's acknowledgement of he wasn't worthy to go where he was going and the place that he was entering was better than he was we got a little western twist on that eastern cult custom now when we come in, hopefully most people have, when we come into a church building, e even good old boys typically take their hat off. Y'all ever notice that? Now, in the military, if you're in the military at all, you, you, they, Navy just leave their hat on all the time, don't they? The Navy take their hat off when they come inside? Uh, uh, well, we know the Army does. 
you come inside, you had to you had to take that cover off your head. But that's a wet, that's our Western twist on them taking their shoes off their feet. But their reasoning was a little different from our reasoning. When we take our hat off to come inside a sacred place, we do it as acknowledgement that the place and the God of the place is sacred. When they took their shoes off to go into a sacred place, they did it with an acknowledgement that the God they were worshiping was sacred, and they, but they themselves were defiled. Okay, so taking the hat off is all about the building. Taking the shoes off is some about the building, but more so about our lack of. And I think that if we could have a melding of these philosophies, we could position ourselves when we come into church to receive from God. If we had, now I'm not saying take your shoes off because, I mean, that's nothing uglier than feet. Not mine. My feet are gorgeous. Y'all, y'all talk to somebody that's seen my feet. I have extra special feet. If you don't believe my feet are special, come by before you leave here today and just touch my hands and then you'll know. Because my feet are softer than my hands and I got the softest hands in the building. I'll wait on you. Most feet are horrid. Most feet are ugly. I'm not saying we're going to take our shoes off to come in here. When Actually, when I started this church, uh, people on the back row, founding members of the church can tell you, what was that girl, lady's name with toes that went like that? Carolyn. Carolyn. There was a little tiny church out in the country. They were shutting down. They called me to come out and, and preach for them for a little while so they could decide what to do. We eventually decided to shut that down and start a new thing that became this but they had a lady leading worship, and she always had her shoes off when she was up on stage, and no socks. And literally, her toes went like, I mean, it was hard to look at. I mean, this was Middleburg country, and her, she had a big toe on her. It's the biggest thing you've ever seen. And she took yellow toenail fungus to a whole new level. And because of that... Because of that, for the entire 15-year history, as soon as I shut that church down, I said, if we're going to do it, we're going to do it right, we're going to close this whole deal down, and the first rule we're going to institute, because she would not put her shoes on. And I knew. I'm like, well, I can't pastor you because you're rebellious. I'm like, well, I'm going to need you to put some shoes on. I can't preach on stage with you. Well, I'm not going to defile the, the altar of God. I take my shoes off the altar. It's holy. I said, well, the whole building's holy. You know, take your shoes off when you sit in your chair. Do you, do you take shoes off when you get in the parking lot? You walk through the mud with bare feet? The parking lot's holy too. So we had this combative type of thing going on, and she needed to go because I needed to stay. But the first thing we decided together as a church, and by as a church I mean I decided, we will no longer have open-toed shoes on the stage because I can't look at toes before I preach. And, man, women have just bucked that, Jeff. They have just bucked that thing, and they're like, I don't have any clothes-toe shoes. i tell you what Denzel told them when he told those kids, go get a tie from your old man. If your old man don't have a tie, borrow one from an uncle. If your uncle don't have a tie, steal one from a bum on the street. If a bum on the street ain't got one, go to the mission. Listen, but we had to put clothes-toed shoes on people because these feet were giving me nightmares. It's bad enough to have to preach watching people pick their nose, pass notes, and dig wedgies. If you're already sitting down, just leave it. But 
with a visual, because I get all I got all these things going on in my head right now. I see different people in the room that remind me of different things, and 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 you y'all talking to each other, and then I got this woman's name, Carolyn, in my with toes going like this. But I she just was determined she wasn't gonna wear shoes. We need to get a melding of this Eastern and Western mindset together, though. When we come into church, it's not about taking off our shoes physically or even a removal of our hat, which I will ask you to do if you don't because that's just cultural. But if we, they did it because they recognized they were unholy. We do it because we recognize the building is special and the God of the building is special. What if we could pull these two concepts together? And when you got in the parking lot, you went through a mental and a spiritual checklist, and you decided, okay, I got to get together from my head to my feet. I got to get together from top to bottom. I got to get it together in my mind where I realize I'm walking into a place that represents the God of the Bible and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the only real God that there is, who's holy. The, The ancients call him holy other. Because he's indescribable. The ancients call him holy other because there's no one else like him. If if we could if we could say, okay, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta take, I gotta take my hat off because this place represents the God that I love. But I also metaphorically I have to take my shoes off because I realize I'm not even worthy to walk in there. I remember when I first got saved, I, I thought honestly that if I ever walked inside a church that the lightning strike and God had burned the place down. Anybody ever, you, you ever feel that way about yourself? Or you know if one of your relatives came to church, God would surely do something special, right? But we need to have a mindset. When we come into this place, it's different. Say different. If you don't want it to be different, it won't be different to you. If you don't expect it to be different, it won't be different to you. If you don't expect to get anything out of it, you won't get anything out of it. But if we could mentally say, I want to get my mind right because I'm going into a place uh, to gather in the name of the Lord our God, and I want to get get my spirit being right. The, the, the Bible says we need to come to him poor in spirit, which is a recognition that we don't have anything of value to offer him. And we can metaphorically take our shoes off and realize he's more holy than I am. But Joshua understood what he was being told when he said, take your shoes off, the place you're standing on is holy ground. In this passage of Scripture, what, what we're talking about is a theological term called a theophany. It comes from two Greek words, theo, which is God, and phanane, which is, means to show, to reveal, or to see. A theophany is an Old Testament appearance of God in a form that didn't call itself God. A theophany is where God showed himself because the Bible says no man has seen God at any time and lived. But the Bible says Moses saw God. Moses lived. He didn't see God in his truest essence. God clothed himself in different ways to allow our eyes to see him without burning out the backs of our heads. Okay? Because, I mean, some of y'all, you, you can tell, especially thirsty dudes. You get some, uh, like they're in church. Yeah, they are. You see some of these guys, a girl walks in and guys are like, eyes bit, you know, close your mouth. Eyes get, like eyes wide open. If you ever could see how incredible God looks in his truest form. 
big-eyed, wide-mouthed look that you thought you had seen other beauty in before would just blow you away. But in the Old Testament, there are many of these appearances of God where he would reveal himself, and he would typically call himself something to do with the Lord's host or the one who was in charge of God's armies. And this is what Joshua is seeing in these three verses that I read to you. He's seeing God, a theophany. He's seeing God show himself. And I want us to see the events that surround Joshua's theophany because we need to see God show up on our life. We need more than anything. This is what I believe. Don't miss this. It's the whole message. You need God to show up in your life in a way that you realize it's him. You need God to show up in your life in a tangible way that you can point to and say, I know God showed up for me. And I want us to do what Joshua did so we can have what he had. Here's, here's the background setting. Moses is dead. Joshua was a great number two man. There's a lesson there. You can't be a good number one man without being a number two man. You, 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 can't, you can't be the man until you carry the man's bags. You, you can't ask somebody to serve you unless you know how to serve somebody. And all leadership is based on proper servanthood. Every great leader started somewhere else. General Patton didn't come into the gig as a general. Nobody came into the deal. You came in and you learned from the ground up. That's why I like, even when, you know, there's going to be nepotism. What's that? When daddy gets you a job that you don't deserve or mama gets you a job, think police department, fire department. Um, I ain't got none of them in here. I don't want to burn my house down or not show up when I call them. But when, when a rich man gets his son a job, people get all upset about that if, if the guy don't deserve the job. Now, if a rich man was to give his son the job of the chief operating officer over a multi-billion dollar corporation and the kid couldn't add two plus two, there's a real problem there. But if the rich man was smart and he wanted his son to one day be a valuable employee of that company and have the respect of the people that worked with him and for him, he started him off washing toilets at the bottom and let him work his way up from the mailroom to the top. See, because this is how great leaders are built. This is how Joshua was built. Joshua started, like most of us started, in, in ministry, washing toilets, coming all the way up to the top. First job I ever had, they, they told me they were hiring me as the youth pastor of the Riverview, Riverview Baptist Church on Lim Turner and Sutel on the north side of Jacksonville. And a week into it, they said, oh, well, our janitor just quit, and we don't have enough money to pay a youth pastor and the janitor uh, and he makes more money than you do, but if you want his job, you can do both and get his check. So first job I ever had was youth pastor, unpaid, janitor, paid. And that's how I came up in ministry. And this is how Joshua has come up. But now Moses is dead. Say dead. Joshua's the man. He's, he's risen up. God has elevated him and made him the new leader. The people of God have passed out of Egyptian slavery. They've crossed over the Jordan River on dry land, entered into what God had promised them, this promised land that would flow with milk and honey and there would be peace and rest. Well, they ain't seen the milk and honey yet and they ain't seen the peace and rest yet. They've seen a lot of effort, say effort. Between every promise and a promised land is this journey of getting there. Joshua is right now just outside in eyes view of the walls of Jericho, where in just a few days he would see a great battle of Jericho and a great victory. So here they are, the people of God, no longer bound by slavery, delivered from where they were, brought into a new place, but they're still facing challenges. If you're saved, this is the story of your life. 
You're not where you were. You don't have everything that's promised to you, and you still have challenges in your life. How you deal with those challenges is going to determine how much joy you have in your life and how much victory you have in your life. I just had a horrible flashback. Anybody remember what that little boy on the right-hand side of the stage did at the Lake Asbury Junior High School three, three minutes into the play? Yes, he did. Boy, that wouldn't look good on stage right now. Y'all want me to? Uh, that's what he has exactly what. Pray for me. <laughs> for the first nine years of my son's life, every time we got in a car, I'd turn back and say, do you have that bucket? Car sickness. Anyway, I can't, I can't hit it from here. Pray my strength in the Lord. We're going to be done in a minute. They've been delivered from slavery. That's a picture of going out of being lost into being saved. They are moving forward toward all that God has for them. That's a picture of the Christian journey. But they still have battles. If the verse right before our text, we started in Joshua 5.13. If you read Joshua 5.12, you find out that something happened that changed a 40-year history of what had been going on. In verse 12, the manna was cut off. God had been feeding them every day until they got there, and then they cut it off. And that's a picture of God helps you a little bit more in the early goings than when you get going on. That's why some people wonder, why was it so easy when I first got saved? Because God was carrying you through everything. God was spoon-feeding you everything. God was handling you everything. When you got a little older and a little bit more mature, God gave you the keys to the car and said, go get the milk by yourself. And then you started wrecking the car and learning how to lie about it. Different message for a different time. But they, they, they're still facing challenges. They're still having battles, and they need God to give them victory. I hope you know you need God in your daily life. You need God in your marriage. You need God in your parenting. You need God in your job. You need God in your finances. You need to have this victory. Joshua has been promised victory, but he's in that place between the promise and the victory. And between, before you get to your milk and honey, let promise, you're going to have a wilderness experience. So here, I say that again and again to get you to this point. Stop asking why. Stop getting confused. and Why, why God? Why is it so hard? Why, why do my children have to drive me crazy? Why did my, why? Because that's just your journey. That's your journey. Embrace where you are and let God give you victory in your journey. Joshua would have never had victory if he'd have just laid down and cried. Joshua would have never had victory if he'd have just pitched a fit. I, I, I like what, what my grandkids' parents tell them. Gail's, Gail's mom tells them, tells them all the time, you get what you get and you don't what? Pitch a, you get what you get and you don't pitch a fit. If Christians could learn that, you get what you get and you don't pitch a fit. Go on and be happy about what you have. Embrace where you are. Nothing was perfect in Joshua's life. Even when the manna was coming down, people were complaining. Imagine that. God's feeding them by hand from heaven. A food nobody had ever seen or heard of from heaven. A perfect food that they were so excited in the beginning, but guess what happened near the end? They got tired of it. They got to complaining about it. That's when I decided I no longer worry what people think about my leadership. People complain about anything. People complain. You, you, never, you know you're a good cook. 
I can testify you're a good cook. You should never let anybody complain about your food because you know you can cook. And if they say your food is bad, just remember, people complain about God. People will complain about any kind of something. It don't mean that the cooking is bad. It means that they ain't hungry enough to eat it. So the, the manna has just stopped. They're crossing over. They're, they're right there. They're at the threshold of great victory, but they still had battles to go through. Now, Joshua knew one of the things that I want us to know. When the battle rages, remember the promise. When the battle rages, remember the promise. That's why you need to read the Bible. That's why when you read the Bible, you need to hunt for promises. You need to look for things that you can say, I believe that's a promise for me. Because anybody tells you that God gave them a promise and you say, what is it? And they said, a, a black BMW. That's a lie because BMW is not in the Bible. All these people claiming promises that don't line up with Scripture, that, that's hopes, souls, and dreams. And that's okay too. But it, but it ain't a promise that they can base on the written word of God. God had given Joshua promises and when the battle was raging in his life he always fell back on the promise I'm gonna read to you the first six verses out of Joshua chapter 1 follow along with me and we'll see the promises that God made Joshua in Joshua 1 1 now after the death of Moses the servant of the Lord it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua the son of Nun Moses minister saying Moses my servant is dead now therefore arise go over this Jordan thou and all this people unto the land which I do give them even to the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you, as I said unto Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, even to the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, unto the great sea toward going down of the sun shall be your coast. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so shall I be with thee. I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. Be strong and of a good courage, for unto this people shalt thou divide for inheritance the land which I swear to their fathers to give them. In these six verses, God promised Joshua six specific things. First thing he promised was to give the land to the children of Israel. And so he was, he was counting on that. Now here's the deal. You might be counting on some stuff that God's going to give you. Joshua was counting on some stuff God had promised them. But Joshua knew there was going to be some battles to be fought. You need to know that. He didn't say he was just going to give it to them easy style. They had to go in there and fight and bleed and put sweat on it. The second thing God promised was to give them every place that the sole of their foot tread on. Joshua had a promise that he knew if he was looking down, he could see his feet touching dirt. This is ours. right? All this, all this we're walking on is ours because God promised it to us. When the battle gets raging, you got to fall back on the written word of God. You got to look for the promises inside the Bible. The third thing God told him, no man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Now, Mike Tyson made a false claim several years ago when he claimed that he was the baddest what? Y'all don't remember? I'm the baddest man on the planet. He, th he said he was the baddest man on the planet. And he, he probably still couldn't beat up George Foreman to this day. Big George still lay a heavy hit on him. But Mike Tyson made a fake claim of being the baddest man on the planet. He ducked Evander Holyfield for four years when Evander was the number one challenger uh, for his crown because they fought as amateurs. And guess who won the only amateur fight between Mike Tyson and Evander Holyfield? A little boxing knowledge for y'all. Evander Holyfield beat him to death. 
as an amateur. And then so after being, being ducked for four years, some of y'all mad because y'all Tyson fans, after being ducked for four years, when he could no longer duck Evander Holyfield and he had to fight Evander Holyfield, guess who won? The baddest man on the planet lost. And Evander beat him. Mike said it was a fluke, so they scheduled a rematch. And after, after half the fight was over, and Evander Holyfield had won every round and thoroughly frustrated Mike Tyson, guess what Mike Tyson did so they'd call the fight off? He bit his ear off because he couldn't take getting beat up no more. So he wasn't the baddest man on the planet. And I don't even know how a person could quantify that because you can't fight everybody. But if there ever was one person who could truly say, I'm the baddest man on the planet, it was Joshua. Why? Because God's assessment of Joshua, no man will ever be able to stand before you all the days of your life. See, men know something that women don't know. Men know when it's time to sit down. Men know. Men, men have a gauge-o-meter in them. Now, now, some of the gauge-o-meters are delusional, but they have a gauge-o-meter in them anyway. I have a strong gauge-o-meter in me. When I, when I step up to you and you step back, I got to gauge that real quick. That's all good, man. <laughs> I didn't mess with you. What she think? Are we going to throw hands here in the church? No, man, come on. Let's pray. Men have a strong gauge on meter in them. And he's, what? That gauge, ding, 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 ding. What you saying? Women, no gauge on meter at all. I wish you would hit me. I swear to God, I'll kill you. I, I, you turn. Ah, ah, ah. What? First time I saw my, my mom do my stepfather that way. I thought, she is crazy. Second time I saw her do him that way, I thought, I kind of wish he had hit her just to see what would happen. She had no gauge at all. She had a hopeometer. She hoped that somebody told him when he was younger, man, don't hit a woman. Okay? Now, John, average man got a gauge meter. Woman don't. That's free for y'all. But Joshua's gauge meter was always on ready because God already told him, no man, none y'all can't stand up with Joshua. The baddest man on the planet. Nobody could stand before him. Nobody could ever beat him. Fourth thing God said, I'll be with you the same way I was with Moses. You need to have somebody whose faith you admire. I didn't say somebody you think who's perfect because there's none of that. All the heroes of God's church are flawed. All the heroes of Christianity are whoremongers and adulterers, liars and thieves, cheats and cowards. All of them backsliders and messed up, from, tore up from the floor up, but they loved God and they had a relationship with God. So I'm not saying find somebody that's perfect that you can imitate all of their imperfections. I'm saying find somebody whose faith you admired. Joshua believed that God was with Moses. And that gave him comfort in following his leader. It gave him comfort in being around Moses because he felt like God wouldn't let nothing bad happen to Moses as long to Joshua as long as he was near Moses. It's like Bishop said, when he gets on an airplane, first thing he does, he looks around for a sweet-looking little old lady because he believes God won't let the plane crash because of her, and he feels comfortable. In, in that. But you, if you got to be around somebody that you have confidence that says, I know God speaks to that person. 
And Joshua had an extreme confidence that Moses was led by God. He knew Moses was imperfect. He, Moses didn't even get to go into the promised land. Moses' sin kept him out of the promised land. Moses couldn't even cross over with the rest of the people. But Joshua knew that God's hand was on his life. And when God says, I'm going to be with you the same way I was with Moses, wow, what a boost of confidence for Joshua. He had promises that he was standing on. The fifth one, he said, I will not fail you or forsake you. God told Joshua, I'll never fail you and I'll never forsake you. That ought to put a little pep in his step. That ought to let him walk through the toughest neighborhood in the world and never flinch. That ought to let him walk through every dark and and dusty trial and and never lack confidence. But, you know, the reality is God's made that same promise to you. He's told us that he would never forsake us and never fail us. The sixth thing, God said, you will be the one to divide the inheritance of this land. And if you study the end of the chapter or the end of the book of Joshua, you see all these different families getting the land divided to them, and Joshua is the one dividing it. So from the first promise to the sixth promise, Joshua's life lived out all that. But we need to know everything starts with a promise. And because of that, Joshua's off to a good start because he's got good promises, but he still has battles to fight. I want you to understand, if you're a Christian, you're off to a good start because you have good promises, but you still have a battle to fight. If you're a Christian, you're off to a good start because you have good promises, but it doesn't mean there aren't plenty of battles ahead of you. It doesn't mean there's no pain coming your way. It doesn't mean that there's not going to be difficulty or challenges ahead, but it does mean that God is on your side. We hear, we hear cliches like, if, if God is for us, who can be against us? And, and we still get scared. If you know God is really on your side, you should not have any hesitation at all i can remember one time i was traveling going across country uh me bishop and another elder were going across country and we were staying at some hotel they had a basketball court outside and this dude out there was just grinding it up he's six foot eight white guy silky smooth just out there by himself just making everything we're eating breakfast bishop's like we ought to go out there and teach him a lesson I can throat punch him. I can snatch his larynx out of his throat. I can, ca- I can concave his knee in where he won't walk again. We, we can play basketball with him. You want to take him out. Uh, and so we go out there. This dude, I mean, he was playing for, for North Carolina, just as brilliant as he could be. And this is like, me and Scotty, take on you two. I'm like, you sure how this going to work? We play him to 15 by ones. And we beat them 15 to 2. And I had 15 assists, and we went back to the room and changed. What am I telling you? You don't have to be good at what you're doing. If you got the right person on your team, all you got to do is stand there and get them the ball. All I did was stand there and get him the ball, and he rained jumpers on that dude all morning long, and we walked off having dominated. Do you realize that as you go through the course of your life that God is on your team? If you would just step back and let him do the scoring, you would begin to amass more points. If you would just step back and let God do the scoring for you, you could be on the winning side. If you could set your ego to the side, hey, listen, I never decided I'll just take this one and drive in there against six eight and try to see if I can lay it up off the gut God I didn't want to get I didn't want to get smacked back I did I knew what my role was <laughs> if God 
God is on your side, how can you lose? If God is on your side, how can you be so downtrodden and faithless? We got to get to this place where we realize that even though we haven't gotten that land yet, that we're on our way and we have some promises promised to us. He, Joshua sees God and he does something when he sees him. And I, and I want us to focus on that this morning. I want us to see what Joshua does when God shows up. Because I want God to show up in your life and I want you to know what to do when it happens. I want God to show up in your life and I want you to know what to do when it happens. Because if there's anything you're believing God for that hasn't happened already, and that should be all of us, then you're in the right place at the right time. You're between a promise and a victory. And if you'll do what Joshua did in his between spot, then you can get what Joshua had on the other side. And that was a life-changing victory. Look at verse 13 in our text. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked. Stop right there. It came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho, he did something. He lifted up his eyes and looked. First thing I want you to see this morning, he was looking with expectancy. This is a hallmark of all Christian behavior from the beginning to the end. You need to be looking with expectancy. If I asked you right now, what are you expecting God to do big right now? Most people wouldn't have anything. I don't know. I guess, you know, uh, provide lunch. No, what are you believing God to do something big that nobody else can do? Joshua was out there, and he's watching. He's looking with expectancy. He knew that something was going to happen because God had told him, you're here, and I'm going to get you to there. You're here. I'm gonna, you're the baddest man on the planet because I'm with you. I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. But we got to go through all this, all this, and all, to get to here. So he's watching for what's next. Are you watching for what's next? You cannot be watching for what's next if you're still complaining about what was last. You cannot be watching for what's next if you're still stuck in how you didn't like the way it went down last time. You cannot be watching for what's next if you are not walking with your eyes open. And I want, to, I want you to hear me today. Open your eyes, Christian, and start walking through life with your eyes open. Things are happening all around you. You remember what Elisha told his servant when the servant was all freaked out because they were camped around them with thousands and he's like, we're going to die. We're going to die. And Elisha said, we're not going to die. We're going to die. They're up there. They're coming to kill us. And the man of God said, there's more with us than against us. When they don't outnumber us, we outnumber them. And the servant looked at him and said, dude, it's you, me, and a donkey. That's two and a donkey. Okay? I don't know what this donkey's going to do, but I'm running. It's you and the donkey. And Elisha prayed and asked God to open his eyes so that he could see. And he saw angels all around them sitting on chariots of fire. And he saw there's more with us than against us. We're never outnumbered. You're never outnumbered when God is on your side. You're never at a deficit when God is on your side. You're never on bottom and somebody else is on top when God is on your side. It doesn't matter what the score is if God is on your side. I told y'all before, I like to re-watch games, but only games my team wins. (laughs) I like to relive the moments. 
I like to break it down, put it in slow motion on the DVR and watch it, individual plays and blocks and different, different ways people set up their defense. But only if I know what's going to happen. Because I've had some, t- you, ever, you ever had your team losing? Get that s- sick feeling? People start calling you on the phone. Discard, discard, hater, 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 hater. I started to call a bunch of y'all. Well, you should have sat on the 12th row because you knew you don't have to sit in the back of the church because Florida State got destroyed in the tournament last night, Deacon. You still get a seat up front, Florida State fan. I thought, let me just, let me get my hater Rolodex out. Where are all these, where are all these criminal fans at? Hey, man, you watching the tournament? Yeah, Seminoles are playing. Oh, you didn't know? Uh, oh, it's over. They lost by 30. Click. Get that feeling in your stomach. Team down by 28. Oh, it's like the Super Bowl. It was so glorious. I had haters blowing my phone up. I'm, I'm watching social media. People are like, ah, where's Tom Brady now? Ah, Pastor, where are the Patriots at now? Ah, and there it came. And I just started typing everybody, but Tom Brady, but Tom Brady, but Tom Brady. And guess what? I rewatched the game. And it was easier the second time because I'm sitting there hand, head in my hand thinking, oh, Jesus. All these non-football fans, they can't name you three players in the whole NFL, but they're going to swear their team just beat the Patriots. But rewatching it, it didn't matter. That they were down by a larger deficit than any Super Bowl team had ever been down by, by and won. No one had ever done it. And the commentator's like, well, Marv, no one's ever come back from a deficit this large. Surely the Patriots have fallen. <laughs> have faith in God and Tom Brady if you believe in football. Watching it on the replay was a whole lot more fun for me as a Patriots fan than watching it live thinking, this is disgusting. This just is not working out right. Why? Because I knew on the replay the team I wanted to win was going to win. You shouldn't count on what the score is in your life right now if you believe that God is on your side and you're going to win. Because God always makes a comeback. God always accomplishes what he sets out to do. So, Joshua is going, he's walking along. Uh, Verse 13 said he was by Jericho and he lifted up his eyes and looked. He was looking with expectancy. You need to be expecting some things in your life. You need to be expecting God's rule in your life. You need to be expecting God to show up in your life. You need to be expecting God to fulfill his word in your life because he promised his word would always do what he set it out to do. You need to have some expectation. Expectancy is the true outworking of faith. If you say you have faith, but you have no expectancy, your faith is false. You have to have expectation for what you say you believe in, or it is a hope so and not a faith. You can hope in something without having faith, but you can't have faith in something without hoping for it and expecting it to happen. There's just certain things I expect to happen in my life. I expect when I tell my children to go upstairs and brush your teeth, I just expect that happen. Because I have faith that they know there's consequences if it didn't. 
I, I, when I read the Word of God and I read what God says, I have an expectancy that every word in this book is going to come true because I know God cannot lie. Joshua is walking through his in-between place where we all are today, but he's walking with his eyes open, looking with expectation. I want you to start looking with expectation. I want you to start looking for God to show up in your life. I want you to start looking with belief that says, today could be a day God does something good in my life. Today, today could be a day God does something good in the life of somebody I care about. You need to walk with this expectation. Not only that, look at verse 14. It said, okay, well, look back at 13. Let me pick back up because we didn't read the last part of that verse. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, there stood a man over against him with his sword drawn in his hand. Well, this probably would have freaked everybody else out because this man is otherworldly, doesn't look normal, and I'm guessing was pretty amazing, okay, because everything God does is amazing. But he's running to the one person in the world who is on cloud 216. I can remember the day after we graduated basic training, Fort Dix, New Jersey, in the spring of 1986. One day before I had to leave to go to my advanced individual training, and so this is the first time I got nobody telling me what to do. I'm off. I'm off from graduation ceremony and, until tomorrow morning. I walked down to the phone booth. Anybody remember phone booths? I walked down to the phone booth, and I'm digging for change, and I hear, <laughs> okay, well, these are military dogs, and they don't stay around here. So they're hunting something. That means they are possibly loose off the leash hunting something. And I'm thinking, nah, I don't want these dogs getting on me. And I, I, I go to close the door on the, on the phone booth. I'm like, they come here, I'll stay. And then I thought, now get, get it. I went in basic training. I was five foot nine and a half. They measured me at five ten. Uh, I say five nine and a half to make all the people who think they're five eleven feel short because they're like here. But I go in at 169. After basic training, I come out 151 pounds. I'm 215 right now. So if you carved off of me, how much is that? 64 pounds. If you carved off 64 pounds of fat and lard and waste off me, and I thought, I'm 151 pounds of army ready. I threw that door open. I wish them dogs would. 85-pound bull, I grabbed that dog by his neck and choked him out. That's how Joshua was feeling right there. I told y'all all that to get to this point. Joshua, he, if, if he would have been in his natural mind, see, if when I was in my natural mind, I was scared of them dogs. When I realized I just came out of hand-to-hand combat training, I was the meanest, leanest dude I'd ever been. That dog came way more than 90 pounds. I got him. I choked him to death. I, I came out of my natural mind into my faith mind. Joshua was in his faith mind because God had already told him, no man can stand before you ever. Oh, here comes man standing over against him with a sword drawn in his hand. Now, this ain't no play fighting. You know, this ain't Star Wars geeking. This, this ain't, you know, Darth Vader. This, this, is, this is back in the day where if a dude had his sword out and you walked up on him, it was probably on him popping. But Joshua remembered the promise. What did God tell him? No man can stand before you all the days of your life. So Joshua looked at this big angelic giant, mystical, whatever it was. 
And he said to him, hey, you with us or you with them? Let me know before I commence. You, want, you, you got me? You with us? Or are you for our adversaries? In verse 14, he said, nay, but as captain of the host of the Lord, I am now come. So now, this being shows himself to be otherworldly and tells him, I am representing God to you right now. I am the top of the top of the Lord, and I am here to you. And Joshua fell on his faith to the earth and did worship and said to him, What saith my Lord to his servant? Not only was he looking with expectancy, but when he saw something, he believed what he saw, and he believed what he heard. God told him, no man could ever stand before you. So he didn't cower in fear of this theophany before him, this greatest vision of someone with a sword before him that he had ever seen. He had already been told, no man will stand before you. He believed God's promise to him, and that's why he was able to walk in confidence. I believe the average Christian lacks confidence. I'm not saying pride. We know pride, God resists the proud, gives grace to the humble. I'm saying the average Christian lacks the basic confidence that God is on my side. The average Christian lacks the basic confidence that he loves me. You need to tell yourself that over and over again. Because the world's going to try to get you to believe nobody loves you. But the Bible says God loves you. He believed. He believed what God had told him. And so he, he, he was moving in a different direction. It's time for us as Christians to move outside the norms of natural living and into the expectancy of supernatural faith and say, I am not concerned about what others think they can do to me because I'm a man on a mission. I've had, I have death threat letters in my credenza from the time we started. Because you don't become popular starting a church in Middleburg, Florida with a mantra that says all races die and go to hell forever. You don't get popular starting a church in the middle of the Klan with, with a mantra that says God loves all people, red, yellow, black, and white. You don't get popular as a pastor in a racist community telling preachers at lunch conferences that if they have black people that live in their community but they're not represented in their church, you're probably doing something to drive them away. So I've been hated on from day one, and I have a stack about that thick of I'm going to get you letters that we keep on file so if I come up missing, they at least have something to investigate. I had one demon-possessed lady coming to the church. She threatened to kill me in front of a whole room full of people, but then wrote me an email and she signed it. <laughs> Hallelujah, I printed that out, put it in a folder. She said, but she had this much sense. She was crazy. She wanted to kill me because we didn't have a Christmas tree in the church. That was the beginning of her crazy, but anyway... She said, I know that God won't let me kill you because he has destiny for your life. But he can't stop me from killing your children. I thought, well, now see, this, this girl got faith. I got to at least respect that. Me and Reverend Ike, I, I can't lose with what I use. God had never failed me and God won't fail me. That's why when, when new haters rise up against me and abundant life, I tell folks, they say, Pastor, you know, so-and-so said such and such, and they're going to blah, blah, blah. Keep living. 
keep living. Tell them what I told them all the, the, the first time they, they raised up in rebellion. I was here winning people to Christ before you got here. I'll be here winning people to Christ after you leave. I was here preaching the solid truth about Jesus Christ before you showed up. I'm going to be here preaching the solid truth about Jesus Christ after you die and go to hell. I was here doing what I've been doing from day one. Because I have an expectancy that God is on my side and I can't lose with what I use. Joshua knew that God was on his side. And then he had a destiny that was not yet complete. And that's the only reason the bundle of life still grinding. I tell the staff all the time, if ever a day I believe God is done with this church, we'll shut it down and we'll all go do something else. But I believe God has destiny on this church. I believe God has destiny on the people in this church. I believe God has destiny for this community. So Joshua wasn't shook by this dude. He believed. He said, man, you better tell me who you're with because I'm pulling mine now. This theophany said, I ain't for you, and I ain't against you. I ain't for your adversaries, and I ain't for you. I'm on the Lord's side. Woo! What a great answer. What a great answer. I've had different people have different conflicts that I try to counsel through their situations. And one of the greatest statements I've ever heard, the person saying it wasn't being honest, but when they said it, I thought, well, wouldn't that be great if you meant it? They said, I ain't on nobody's side. I'm standing on righteousness. And that's a great place to be. That's where you should be. You ever find yourself being pulled between two two different opinions? You stand on righteousness. You ever find yourself, somebody wants to say, you for them or you for me? They need to know, I'm for the Lord. I'm on God's side. Anybody on God's side, I'm with. Anybody not on God's side, I ain't with that. And that's what this theophany tells him. I'm on the Lord's side. Joshua had a strong expectancy. He had a strong belief. Verse 14, he said, Nay, as captain of the Lord's host, I am now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped. Next thing he did, he worshipped. Okay, so he's walking around with his eyes open, looking with expectancy. He's believing everything that he's been told. And now he comes to this place where he sees something representing God, and he chooses to worship. When you come into this place, you ought to see something representing God. And you have a choice to make. You worship or you don't. When you come into this place that we call a church, it could be a warehouse, it could be a restaurant, it it could be anywhere where there's a building, people could gather together in the name of the Lord. But when they gather together in the name of the Lord, the purpose it's being used for at that point is for the gathering place of the people of God. And when you come into this place, you ought to recognize this is where God's people are gathering today. And I am going to choose to worship. If you want what Joshua had, God let Joshua win his battles. All of them. God gave Joshua great victory over everything. God never let anybody withstand Joshua ever. And he chose when he saw God. He chose to worship. That's what makes a difference in the place between the promise and the victory. Worship. I like that one for, uh, verse, that, that one song that says, don't wait till the party's over, shout now. Some people can't shout in advance. Some people can't shout in advance because it takes faith to shout in advance. 
Some people can't clap and rejoice in advance because it takes faith to clap and rejoice in advance. Somebody ought to look at you sometime in your life where you're having a happy fit and ask you, why are you happy when everything's going bad? And you need to let them know, this story ain't over yet. Keep living. It ain't over yet. Keep living. I'm celebrating in advance. I'm believing in advance. I'm thanking God in advance. I got promises that I'm I'm holding on to till the end because it ain't over till God's. No fat lady need to sing. It ain't over till God says it's over. We, we, we need to have a mindset. That old song that song said, as, as long as there is time and one breath left in me, we, we ought to always have praise for the Lord. We ought to always have thanks to give to God. We ought to always be able to swell up in faith and belief and say, I will yet worship him. Joshua's in a weird spot. He got all these promises. He got no victory yet for what he's waiting on. His food supply just got cut off. He's feeding millions of people. By the smallest estimate, this is at least 5 million people that walked walked through this desert with him. And the bad news is, if you read the first 11 verses of the scripture, he just circumcised all of them again. Ouch! No honesty, God said. Make unto thee sharp knives. Boy, if I heard him say that to Joshua and I knew I was next, I'd be like, really sharp. Sharp knives. Food supplies cut off. All the men are laid up in herding right now. They are in a place of adversity. They are promised that they are going to battle, but they're going to win. So now they have no food, no provision, and every man of fighting age is laid on his back, can't move. Think about it. No real knives, sharp rocks, no medication, no, 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 nothing to numb the pain. That's, that's a recovery process, fellas. Uh, I'm going to keep moving because y'all get it if you get it. But this is where he's at. And he's like, this is awesome. God has sent me a representative so I can see him. And he just begins to worship in his place between promise and victory in his place of struggle and I believe that's the different difference maker for us today because we're all between the promise and the promised land none of us have gotten all that we're going to get out of life we're all in our process we're all in our wilderness journey we're all in our conquering journey we're all in our taking new land journey but all of us won't worship some people just won't worship some people won't worship. It doesn't matter. It, I mean, I know, I see the look in some people's faces like, I don't like that song. You, you get, tell us the song that you would worship to. It, it shouldn't have to be your favorite song for you to have to worship to it. You ought to have a worshipful heart. You ought to have worship when you come into the place. You ought to have a desire to worship God because of who he is. You ought to have a desire that says, he let me come into his house one more time. I will lift up my voice and I will worship him. He worshiped God. At the end of verse 14, he said, he he fell on his face and he did worship. And he said to him, what saith my Lord to his servant? Next thing he did, he surrendered his will. He was looking. He was believing. He was worshiping. And he was willing to give. He was the leader over millions of people. He was the voice of God on the planet. 
he was the only one speaking for Jehovah at the time. Everybody looked to him. Whatever you want me to do, that's what I'm going to do. How can you be so high-minded that you'd rather stick with your plan than God's plan? You'll never choose for you better than what God would choose for you. Your, your, your agenda will never be better for you than what God's agenda is. God's agenda for you may be difficult. It may be rough. You may, you may have to go up the rough side of the mountain. But you know what? You better thank God when you go up the rough side of the mountain because we're all going to slip and fall. And when you slip and fall on the rough side of the mountain, there's a branch to grab hold of. On the slick side of the mountain, you'd have went all the way down to the bottom with nothing safety to keep you there. It's a good thing to go up the rough side of the mountain. But when you're going on your process, you need to go with a worship in your heart. You need to go with a love in your heart, and you need to go with a surrendered will. What do you say to me? Here he is. He's the leader. But he recognizes when God shows up, even he has to listen. Stop being the boss of your own life. Let people wiser than you guide you. And let God have the ultimate say in everything that you do. Verse 15, and I'm done. He said, And the captain of the Lord's host said to Joshua, Loose thy shoe from off thy foot, for the place where thou standest is holy. Look at the last four words, and Joshua did so. Last thing Joshua did, he did so. That's what I want people to say about me. Say all the bad stuff you want to say about me. But you better know I did so. I did what God told me to do. I never backed up from anything God told me to do. And I never let fear, favor, fortune run me off. And I never let adversity, pain, or struggle stop me from pursuing the promises that God has given me. And I want that to be your story. I want that to be your story. When, 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 the, when the day is over for David Thomas, I want them to be able to say David Thomas did something. He did what God put before him to do. And he did it with an expectancy and a faith and a worship. He surrendered his will and he did it. God gave him a heart for different areas of ministry. And from day one, he's come in here and he's plugged in and served in those ministries. He did so. I see people around this church right now that I see success stories in in Christianity. People that came in hurting or unsaved that have grown and gotten stable in Christ and are now serving God. You are doing so. Some of you need to get busy with what Joshua got busy with. Do what God tells you to do. Do it with a faith that says God will never let you down. Whatever God says to do, that's what we need to do. If you're still waiting on God to fulfill a promise that he gave you, do what Joshua did. He expected, he believed, he worshiped, he surrendered, and he did. Five things. You got to move with expectancy. You got to believe what God has for you is for you. You got to worship, you got to give up your plans, surrender your agenda, and you got to do what God says to do. Of those five things, the one word in the middle is the one that is central to this working for you. Worship. Worship. We have got to turn a corner in worship. We have got to stop talking about how we want to see our worship get better. And we've got to decide we're going to worship God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. 
We're going to worship God when we come in. Here's what we're going to do right now for the next few minutes. Uh, we'll go ahead and get the choir to come back up. You guys get a, get a worship song in your mind. Jeff, here's what we're going to do. We are going to have a time of altar ministry. We're going to have a time where you can pray where you are or where you can come down front and you can be prayed for. If you're here and you're saved, you don't need anybody to pray for you. You just need to ask God to save you. And then you need to come and tell me that you asked God to save you. If you're here and you're saved, I want you to put some feet to your prayers. It's time for us to go next level. It's time for us to start doing what God has called us to do. So we're all in that space in between. Everyone is saved. You're in that space in between. You have promises, but you're in your journey. I want you to spend the next few moments in prayer. You can pray at your seat. You can pray at this altar. You can come pray with me. But I want you to spend a few moments telling God, I choose you, God, and I choose to follow you. Let's take this time now and let's make commitment unto God to do what he's called us to do. I want you, if you're physically able, stand on your feet with me and pray with me. God, thank you for this time together. Lord, I pray, God, in Jesus' name that you bless this time of consecration. Move on the hearts of your people, God. Guide us by your spirit. Use this time, God, to instill faith in your children. Let us rise up, Lord, even as Joshua did, and believe. Let us walk in expectancy. Let us walk in total faith and confidence, knowing that your way is right. God, I pray, Lord, that you would take us one step closer today to the victory. Take us one step closer today to our promise, God. Take us one step closer as we draw close to you, God. Thank you for drawing close to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the AOCF Sound Doctrine Podcast. And visit us on the web at aocfnow.org. Your financial support for this ministry allows us to share the gospel around the world. Your support is greatly appreciated. If you would like to give a donation, please go to aocfnow.org. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people.